You're listening to the Black Girl Narrative Podcast with Tara Ngozi Mixon and Vanna Ivory Joseph. Today is our debut episode. So today we're actually going to uh, post questions to each other about our writing processes and the projects we're working on. Um, Vanna has prepared some questions for me and I have prepared some for her. So let's get started. Okay, let's get started. All right. So my first question to Tara is, does writing energize you or exhaust you? Um, It depends on what I'm writing and when I'm writing. Um, I'll say that my most recent project, um, Your Mother Was a Panther, I would say that I was mostly exhausted. The content was heavy at times and deeply personal, even though it was fiction. Um, it's just, it, it was kind of inspired by my feelings about certain situations and trying to uncover the stories of my ancestors. Um, but still, you know, in a fictional man- manner, because I didn't know those people. So I'm kind of piecing together the stories that were given to me um you know, just really in a spiritual way. So that was heavy. But um, right now I'm finishing up a poetry collection and that's really been energizing. So I'm really uh, getting to express some of my frustrations or some things that I've never even articulated before. And it's really been energizing and uh, healing. So hopefully that answers your question. Yeah, good. Okay, so are we going to spit this off with you and then me, or am I yeah, them all? Yeah, let's just go back and forth. Okay, so my first question is, what was the last book you read or are currently reading? Well, um, my, the last book I read in whole was uh, Your Mother Was a Panther, uh, Stories in Verse, <laughs> your book. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> it's the truth, it's the last one I read in, in total. Um, so what, you know, I, we talked about it, how much I, I was just like really moved by it. And, and I don't want to say impressed because it's like, saying, oh, you're so articulate. I mean, it was just really, <laughs> it was just really a moving experience. And, um, I know you say it was exhausting for you, but it was, it was just very provocative and it was something that that's, that's missing right now in, in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, Right now, nothing that I'm reading is is painting pictures for me, you know, and, you know, they get these tags on them, like, you know, it's going to paint this picture, and I get it, and and thus far, a lot of stuff has just been falling short for me. So, reading your parent, your mother was a panther was really um, a breath of fresh air for, you know, at at risking sounding cliche, but it really was, Mm -hmm. and... um, and right now I'm currently reading uh, um, something a friend of mine who uh, wrote uh, kind of like his memoir, his story, uh, a certain part of his life that he sent to me to kind of read over. So I'm reading that right now. And I'm also reading uh, Stephen King on writing, which I've been kind of reading off and on uh, probably for about a month or two now. But um, I'm, I'm also reading it like text, you know, like mm-hmm. a textbook. So, um which I, I didn't think I would, you know, let's say be Stephen King wasn't necessarily in my vein, but I really am enjoying it. Mhm. Yeah, that so book is actually like on the 
is one of the books that they have us read in the creative writing programs at university. So, yeah, that's a good oh, one. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what that's the last book I read of what I'm reading now. So let okay. me see my next my next question for you. Um, did you ever consider writing under a pseudonym? I have not uh, actively considered that, but because I released um, books, you know, I started started releasing books decades ago. And then, you know, you kind of grow as a writer. I actually went to school after I wrote those books. I actually went to college and studied English. And, you know, I'm a bit like, hmm, I don't know. I kind of want to say embarrassed, but I'm not completely comfortable with having those works out in the world. So I kind of wish I could um, go back and change the name on those books. But going (laughs) forward, I'm pretty comfortable using my own name. Okay. That's funny you talk about pseudonyms because I think, like, with this age of social media, I'm always thinking, like, why didn't I write on another name? Like, I should have wrote on another name so that it'll be a distinct uh, difference between, you know, LaVonna Joseph, the wife, mother, friend, sister, auntie, versus, you know, Vonna, the writer. I, I think I would have, I think I, I would have appreciated that now at this point. Yeah, I think, I think it's important or I see it more often when people are romance writers, like maybe they write really, um, write strong literary fiction under their, you know, birth name and then use a pseudonym to write this, like, (laughs) this intense romance, I guess. Um, so that they can kind of distinguish those two audiences. Um, so I can see where someone would do that, but I, I think I'll always right really close to home so I'll be comfortable with using my own name. Mhm. <laughs> okay, I think Oh, am I next? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember your first encounter with literature? I absolutely remember it. I was in the third grade, and it was the first year I was reading a chapter book, and I read um, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from the mm-hmm. Chronicles of Narnia. And from that point on, I was just, I was a reader, and, and I love C.S. Lewis. I love the entire Chronicles of Narnia. I remember when um, the movie was released, when it was coming out, I just, like, lost it. Like, oh, my God. And it took me right back to the whole Challenger explosion and everything. Mm-hmm. It was like I was right back there. But I um, I really... um. I was transported. You know, I grew up in Central Florida. It was hot all the time, and and this was going on in the winter and in World War One. I. I was just transported, and I think that's that that particular book fostered my love of literature. And I use that word literature because I'm specifically I've always been kind of drawn to the classics, and mm-hmm. um, and I mean American classics, British classics. I always wanted to go somewhere else. more so time travel than anything. I don't think I got into contemporary literature until I was probably, I would say, late teens, early 20s, um, because I like the idea of being uh, transported. Mm 
Hmm. So, I guess with contemporary literature, I didn't really feel like I went. I guess maybe it was more time travel. Yeah. <laughs> now that I yeah. think about it, yeah, because it was like for me to be somewhere else. You know, I love clothes. I love fashion. The '40s, World War One. I, I was always into that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you know, like turn of century stuff. A huge Dickens fan. Um, you know, I love all the Bronte sisters, Jane Eyre. I was like obsessed with all of that kind of stuff. So, um, and I think that's what it was. It, it, it transported me. So I was, you know, in some island in in, in the UK on the moors. That's what I, and that really influences my writing now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, being more of a sensory writer, you know, I, I, if it's cold, what I'm writing about, I wanted to feel gray. I wanted to feel that way. And I think it goes back to, you know, my first encounter with literature and, you know, the line of witch in the wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of do that. Uh, I always think of, I think I, that's probably where I start with the story, how I want to feel because I think it starts with you first. Um, and I don't think I could write if I felt like everything that I wanted to read was already, already existed. I don't think that I would. Um, so it's always, it always starts with how I want to feel when I read something. And then everything else evolves from that. But I will, um, I'm just going to piggyback off of your question, um, or my question and your answer, um, and say that my first encounter is, is crazy. You won't even be. <laughs> I'm laughing because <laughs> it's so crazy. My first, like when I first fell in love with reading, I probably was in the sixth grade and it was Little House on the Prairie, the Laura Ingalls oh. Wilder um, books, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy because I have a hard time tearing myself away from, from black everything. I, I really, it's really difficult for me to like put down a book about black life um, or black women and pick up something um, that's more like, you know, mainstream. It's really hard for me to do that. So for a book like Little House on the Prairie, and I'm telling you, like, we, my mom took me to um, a used bookstore, and I don't even know, you know, what brought that on because my mother was a, a, a young mother, so she was a teenager when I was born. But, I you know, I'm always curious to know, like, how did she know that we needed these things being such a young mother? Um, right. But she took us to the to the um, to the bookstore. It was that book, and it was another book um, about a slave girl. And I've not been able to find that book since, and I've not been able to trace it down. Like I've been searching, I searched every very variation of slave girl, and not found that book again. So it's possible that it was uh, self published or something, because it I, it can't be found. And I've been looking for it for like two decades. But that book also strongly in influenced my reading, kind of drove my reading. So after I got through the whole Little House on the Prairie series, it was all about um, just historical, uh, well, nonfiction and historical fiction. So if you can ground it in something that actually happened, then I'm all for it, much more than fiction. So it's really interesting that that I'm writing fiction now. But yeah, that's that was my my first introduction. Yeah. Okay, so I think um, it's your turn next. Well, I asked the question and then answered oh, you after did. you answered. Okay, <laughs> you're right. 
You're right. So, okay, it's my turn. So do you want each of your books to stand on its own, or are you trying to build a body of work with connection to each book? Not necessarily, well, not even necessarily a series, but, you know, like mm-hmm. that they somehow connect. I think, I, I don't know if that intention is there as far as them connecting, but I'm pretty sure that they will always connect in some way because I feel called to write the black woman's story. And I know that that has many forms and many voices. Um, I feel really, um, you know, inspired by the whole, by culture, by, uh, by my ancestors' voices been being muted. Um, so I just feel like I'm here to write the things that they couldn't say and communicate the things that they couldn't write. Um, so, yeah, I think that there will always be some type of connection. It's always going to be culture, language. I'm real, a real big fan of oral tradition. Um, so you'll always see kind of those things in my books. Okay. Um, so this was, this was kind of a, a big one because you, we kind of answered, I, I was going to ask you how your first encounter impacted your own writing today, but, um, I think we've kind of answered that. So my next question is, why do you write? You know, I wanted an image of a relatable, you know, hardworking, uh, black woman. You know, I wanted I wanted that image out there because I felt there was a void. I didn't see that image out there, and um, I was uh, having dinner with this young lady who, essentially, my first character, Cammy. She inspired Cammy because you know she she has all these things she's accomplished. You know, she she moved to the city on her own. Um, you know, she worked, I'm just going to make this up, like she worked at Longhorn Steakhouse since she was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Now she's in management. She's a district manager for Longhorn Steakhouse. She does well. Young girl, not even 30 yet, owns her own home, moved to another city on her own, just doing well. And so I asked her, you know, like, how you like being out in the city? You know, how everything going? You meet anybody? Nah, you know, Atlanta's too glamorous. Everybody, you know, don't have time to do the lashes and the hair. and everybody too glamorous here. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking... Sitting at a table with eight women with no glamour. Like, we all here chilling. You know, we come together every month. We talk about what we're going through, our celebrations, our hardships. And, and what she started to talk to me about was about reality TV, the Real Housewives of Atlanta, and, you know, all of these uh, reality shows and love and hip hop. And then it just hit me that's the image of us out there she's sitting at a table with eight women and that's the image of us out there when it's Mm -hmm. not the real image and and how awesome she is that she she live in a zip code here in atlanta where it's like one of the highest incomes on your own at 28 years old you don't see how like great that is like you you know but i had to realize because it really stayed it stayed with me enough to write up 70,000 plus words about it, but she, she's not one of those girls that's out there or women. She's not out there, you know, 
putting herself out there, taking selfies and saying how great I am. This is what I've accomplished, and this is how you can do it, too. She's just putting her head down, putting one foot in front of the other, making it happen. She's not taking inventory of, wow, I've accomplished this, and I've accomplished that. And I, she's just making it happen. She's eating. She's putting a roof over her head. So mm-hmm. when a woman who is just hardworking, salt of the earth, nurturing, caring, taking care of everybody else, when she doesn't see herself, that's a disservice, and that bothered me. So I wanted to write about a relatable yet extraordinary black woman, which so many of us are, but but for some reason, we're not seeing it anywhere. We're not seeing it reflected in our culture. You know, you're seeing mm-hmm. one extreme of, you know, this girl at 3 o'clock in the afternoon with long eyelashes and long hair down her back and, you know, cleavage to her neck. Or you seeing, you know, the far other extreme, like, if you're not going to look like this, then you need to have dreadlocks and, you know, and a T-shirt. So you lost in that. But as black women, we have so many different voices and so many different flavors. True, we share a united heritage. We share a shared atrocity of slavery in America. But we we're not one way. And it's a lot of our voices that are missing. So I felt that's what that's why I write to write about that girl in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we can we're still like successful, um, even if we're not trending. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's perfect. Yes. So I wanted to write about her, and that's that's why I started writing. That's why I still yeah, write. So, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask that. So is it always a person you know that influences or that kinda drives the plot or inspires the next book? Um, at this point, these characters have taken on lives and voices of their own. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> so literally now they like stand on their own, they speak on their own. So mm-hmm. Each, each, everything I work on is truly an extension of what they up to now. Truly. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm not organized enough to, like, plot it out, like, you know, three books down. I'm not that organized. So, mm-hmm. literally, it's like, oh, my God. I'm surprised all the time, like, oh, I didn't know about her. Okay. Right, because like, we, okay. we actually have these conversations about your characters. And they are real people. They they have their own minds outside of uh, Vana's influence. So <laughs> they really do what they want, and they tell her how it's going to be. Yeah, for real. It's like, okay, I hear you. Okay, okay. All right. We'll see what I can do with it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always I'm talking tell to myself in the shower. <laughs> But I always, you know, I think I told you when we first started working together and I always told like my students that uh, one day if you continue to write, your characters will speak back to you. And, um, you know, they thought I was crazy. I said, well, make sure you're always in contact. Make sure you follow me online or whatever so you can tell me when that happens, when your characters start to talk back to you because they will and you're not crazy. You just, you just, uh, 
you're just giving them dimension. I mean, you can anybody can write a character's name down on a page and give a description, and they'll be and they could and they could always be flat. But when you have really like honed your craft and you really thought about uh, worked on characterization, you are going to that person is going to leave the page and be real. Um, and so I think that should be the goal of every writer, right? To get that person off that page because they shouldn't be like, I'm not going to keep reading if your character's flat. They're not real to me. They have to be real. Right. And I think it, and the only way that an author can write a realistic character and take them through, um, you know, whatever circumstances, they have to have dimension. You have to be um, in touch with them and they have to have their personalities outside of who the author is yeah well check the box they definitely have their personalities like <laughs> you know yeah they do some of them I'm like girl won't you speak up you gonna just let this happen <laughs> and the other yeah. one I'm like will you shut up a little bit okay just calm down I hear you okay <laughs> a minute so, yeah like we should, we should probably give you the nickname Dr. Frankenstein because <laughs> because you've created real living people. Oh my God, that is that is funny. You know, I take that. You know, I love that whole story about um, <laughs> you know Mary Shelley and all of that stuff. Anyway, yeah, so yeah. I take that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Was it was that my question or your question? That was your oh, question, was... so now you're asking me, right? Or That's yeah, right. You, you asked me now. Oh, this is a good one for you. So if you could tell your younger writing self anything, what would it be? Don't stop writing. Um, when I was younger, I probably wrote with more confidence than I did when I was in my late 20s and 30s. When I was younger, um, I think that – Coming to the table, like with being as naive as you are um, in your early 20s and even in the teen years, I think that's good. And once you kind of be conscious, become conscious of other people and their opinions of your writing, um, you got to be a really strong person to push through and keep doing that. But I think that's the case with anything. Um, you got to really have you got to have some confidence. But I also think that when you when you're not considering other people, you should definitely not think about your your readers, your critics on your first draft. That is no time to bring them into the thing. You are just you just need to get the story down. Um when you get to revision, uh you still want to think about crafting these these worlds and these characters and making them realistic and layering in things that um that that come to you as you get to know these characters. But uh I I would say later in the game is when you kind of want to think about your potential readers. But you also need to know, and I've been learning this in recent times, talking to you, talking to some other authors, that um, your people will find you. So if you're writing and, you, and you're looking at whatever's trending right now, um, whatever's popular, first of all, you need to know that there's a machine behind that, that hype. And you really, you know, we really don't know how great something is until we, until we read it. That's up to us as the reader whether or not we we like it. So we shouldn't go out after the entire world. Um, just make just just pray that you find your people and that your people find you. Um, but I think that by the time we get through revision 
And by the time we're ready for publication, we're comfortable with what we're putting out there. And you have to hold on to that. But don't don't even uh, entertain other people's thoughts when you first start writing. Just get the story out. Yeah, that's good. That's good advice. That is good advice. Yep. So yeah. let's see. Um, are you a plotter or a panster? <laughs> uh, I am. I would say ninety-five percent a panster. I am getting, but see, then that gets me into that whole plot versus character thing. Um, because I do more plotting as far as my characterization, building my characters, than I do ever with the storyline or 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 the flow. And you know, I don't want to sound you know, like a crazy person, but literally, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, you know, I can give you five examples off the back of my head that are completely surprising me that I had never even thought about. Didn't even, couldn't, I, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I couldn't even imagine like, wow, that, that came from that or that happened or that was planned that was going on in the background. So I don't even really understand how people plot. I've tried it. And, right. you know, with, with me learning more and, and, and researching more about the craft, I try it. But I found uh, wholly what works best for me. It's almost kind of how I read my horoscopes, like, late at night to see if it was true. Like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, oh, that's bull crap. That ain't happened. But um, after I kind of... I actually read that J.K. Rowling did this because, you know, I'm a huge Harry Potter head, huge Potter uh-huh. head. So I read that she would go through and and, summer, and you know, surmise the chapters. And not at the time, they're not chapters that early on. It's like she writing stuff, okay, this is what happened in this part. These are the major characters, and this is what happened. So I find that after I've written a couple of chapters on my halfway through, I go back and see if it makes sense. So if I'm kind of wondering, I can't, I can't centralize what happened in that chapter or who it was about. Then I go back and say, okay, I need to, I need to tighten this up because it, it it's just kind of willy nilly, it's kind of all over the place. So I don't know if that's plotting because it's not in advance of me writing. It's after I've written. If mm-hmm. that makes any sense. So I think that kind of makes that's kind of like a five percent plotter. But is it plotting when it's after? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think so. I think that, you know, from what I've read now, four of your novels, and um, I think that because you spend so much time on character development, um, and, and just because, that you know, this is what I've realized from reading is that your books are really character-driven. They're not plot-driven. Um, so if you... I, I would say maybe maybe a hybrid. Yeah, maybe a hybrid. So if you think about, okay, I got these characters in mind. You have an idea of what you want to put them through. But you don't you don't really know how they're going to react to each hurdle, right? Right. So in that sense, you're not you're not plotting and saying, uh, you know, I'm going to put these people in this situation. And they're going to do this, that, this and that. That I know that would never work for you because your characters are so real. And they will tell you what they're going to do. 
and they will surprise yeah. you often, and they do surprise you often. So I think you lay a framework, but yeah, you you definitely um, allow your characters to speak and move how they desire to. Yeah, I have because if you think about like for me when I wrote Cross Lines, I swear to you, it was a love story. It was this great love story. <laughs> so when it ended, it was like. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and that's not a spoiler, not to say that it's still not it's not a love story, right? It's right. It is a beautiful love story. Love I story. mean, that's yeah. what I set out to do, like what was happening with this couple while this couple was doing their thing and what happened to them. And I thought mm-hmm. what I thought was I thought well, I guess what I thought was happening was happening, but you know, life gets in the way. And I guess it's kinda like what what I'm thinking about is like real life in your day-to-day life. This happens, this happens, this happens. Then your sister calls and throws a wrench. Now you're going to do this and this happens. How do you plot? How do you, what's the plot in that? Like, how is that outlined? Yeah. I, I, I try to understand like what, because I don't think I'm not a plotter at all. My stories completely come to me. They come to me and then they become what they become after many rounds of revision and layering in things. Um, Mm -hmm. But I just wonder how, how we'll have to get someone on the podcast to tell us a plotter to get on the podcast and tell us how they could bring out like really dimensional characters when they plotted them out. Like how, you know, since you're without that organic process of development, how do you create, um, such dimensional characters. I'm really curious to find that out because I can't, I couldn't imagine. I mean, <laughs> I mean, just even think about God, right? He created us, but he gave us our own minds. And he, right. he may know what we're going to do, but he doesn't have anything to do with what we're going to do, right? We still get to decide. So right. I, I just like, you know, if the creator of the universe <laughs> gave us our own minds, I couldn't imagine, um, you know, laying out what my characters would do. But that'd be interesting. I'm sure I'm sure they could break it down to me in a way that I could grasp. Yeah, because, I mean, I think about, like, I was reading The Hate You Give. And, okay, so we know that there was a, you know, the premises of that. You know, it's this, this girl who kind of straddles both worlds, the neighborhood she lives in and the affluent school she goes to. And then, you know, you have the whole thing with the police brutality and the social injustices. And so I could kind of see if, okay, this is going to happen. And she this, this girl is going to know she was there. So she got both sides of the story, whereas everybody else, the, the community, the media, everybody is shaping the way this story came out, but she knows maybe you can plot something like that, you know, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe the thing is like this with what I write, it doesn't start with a thing happening. It starts with about a girl. This is a story about a girl. This is a story about a boy. So maybe that's why it's hard for me to plot because I don't start with a, this happened. So in your descriptions, is, when you just, when you describe these interactions with your characters, you say like, or kind of to give a premise of a book, you do these what ifs. What if, you know, uh, right. give us an example of one of those what ifs. Do you have one on the top of your head? Um, well, good enough. The what if is um, 
what if you're a regular girl and you meet this guy who you've painted as outside out of your league because he's from a different mm-hmm. class. I really wanted to play with a class in black America. I wanted to play with that uh, idea of, of classism. Um, and mm-hmm. it was, it was literally, what if he, what if he likes you too? Yeah, that was it. What if he likes you too? So you don't, you don't, start with that that question you start with the girl yeah no i wow. started with, with this it was this girl is this regular girl going to work at this cafe she wore khakis in the t-shirt to work that was clear to me she on the train mm-hmm. every day and she sees this boy who's in a suit and tie carrying a laptop bag and designer sunglasses she checking for him but she thinking like when well, he you know my shirt he, you know, he out of my league. He that kind of black guy. He that kind of mm-hmm. black dude. I can't even relate to that. And he checking for her, but he reading is a completely different thing. He's reading her like, oh, she's not interested in me. She don't even look up. She just kind of like, hey, what's up? And she back in her book. But see, she's discounting herself. Mm-hmm. But to him, he's it's coming across as, oh, she ain't got no interest in me. So she's taking herself out of the game already. So it was it was about a girl, and what if he like you too? Yeah. What if you don't? What if you don't take yourself out of the game? What if you get up to bat? You know, my kids play baseball. What if you get up there and you you bat? Don't take yourself out. You got three strikes. So you know that that was. So it's kind of um. Yeah, it started. It still goes back to start with the girl. Wow. It still goes back to starting with the girl who was the mother of, you know, mother of everybody else as a young girl. <laughs> yeah. But we know a lot of those people, right? Yeah. A lot of people in those situations. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's my Cammy. And it's my turn to ask a question. Okay. How did publishing your first book change your process of writing? Okay. When you say first book, are you talking about Panther? Are you talking about some of the stuff that I don't want to even admit to publishing before? Publishing. Publishing. Your first book that you published, how did that change your writing process? Not Panther. The first one you published. Um, it made me much more... Um, protective of my work um also much more intentional about what I put out there but as far as writing um it really honestly it made me go to school and now I don't believe that you have to go to university to be a good writer um Mm -hmm. I'll say something very controversial I guess I, I I think writers are born I don't think there are storytellers are born. I don't think that they can be created. I think that some people have that gift, just like some people are singers. Um, I have a, an uncle who was a child prodigy. He could play everything by ear. Every He can still pick up any instrument and play it without mm-hmm. any instruction. So I think that we're born, and I think, and and I like the same respect I have for singers. Like, I would not go and make an album singing, knowing that that's not my gift. 
Right. So I think it's important to find your gift. Now, there are things we're going to like to do. You can't tell me to stop singing in my shower. Right. But, <laughs> you know, but I'm not I'm not cutting a record and putting myself on auto-tune. So I think it's, for, you know, the first thing was I had to I had to find out if writing was for me. Now, I could still go back and read that first book and see that that it was there. Um, but I think what I, what I was lacking in the beginning is that respect for my craft. Um, and so for me, going to university was uh, paying my dues. But I don't think that you have to do that. But I do mm-hmm. think that you need to know the rules in anything, in any arena, before you break them. You don't want to break them not knowing you broke them. Um, cause, because there are some conventions in, in with English language. There are some conventions um in literature um and 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 if you pick up panther you know that i kind of did my own thing but i only did my own thing after i knew what the rules were so i could intentionally break them right and and that's got to be evident to your reader too right they can't think that okay pick up your book and think she has no clue what she's doing Right. Like, this is a mess. You they got you got to be you got to know it well enough. You got to know your craft well enough to know how to convince them that they that everything should be written this way, right? So I know there's a line in one of my in uh in the story um about uh titled um 2001 in the in the new book Your Mother Was a Panther. And there's a line break there and it says like um I'm going to get this wrong, but it's something like her and her husband woke up from her dream. Um, that might seem like I meant I wanted to say their dream. Right. But I wanted to say they woke up from her dream. Right. Right. And then as you, as you read, you'll, you'll, you'll find, and, and it, especially if you're a cri- critical reader, like you'll, you'll find the meaning and you'll see what I meant by that. Um, right. But I could have changed it to there just so people wouldn't be confused, but that would change the meaning. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I've learned to be, I've learned to be more intentional. I've learned to hold things that aren't ready to be born and release things that are before they're overdue. Right. Um, so yeah, I would say that's what my first, my first book taught me. Okay. Good deal. Deal. And I do, and let me say this because, like, since you brought up Panther, you know, your mother was Panther, and 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 things like that. That's something that I've always appreciated. Something that I've always uh, drawn from. You know, I'm like heavily, like in awe. I worship Toni Morrison, and yeah, yeah. even even in the naming of her characters, you know, I love it, and. I find that uh, in my writing, it'll be, you know, little things like that. And then there's people who I find, I found like three different types of readers, of my readers. Um, The people who, you know, who like my reading, who like my writing. But there's the one that that goes like, oh, you know, it's a grammatical error here. And it's like, no, I meant that. You know, yeah, and yeah. so I started. I started saying to them like, if it's in quotation, if it's inside those quotes, that's exactly what I meant. 
Because absolutely, that's the because way the character speaks. chooses their words. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way they speak. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to have, so as an example, Camilla was, you know, she had a limited education. She was street smart. She didn't care about reading books and, you know, furthering her vocabulary. She didn't over-enunciate when she was talking to people. She was who she was. She didn't try to adjust herself. Then you have Isaac, who was a convicted felon, been in prison since he was 17 years old. But he's very well read because he was always, he's always for thinking about being a better person, being a better man, being a better citizen. You know, so he doesn't speak the same way Camilla did, but he was in prison all those years. Mm-hmm. See, all that stuff is, and, and I don't even want to say intentional because it's, I know it comes from me, but it doesn't. It comes, it's who they are. Yeah. So I, I just, I love that. I, I, you know, you know, I love that they work from her dream, you know, it speaks to, to, to their closeness, to their, you know, their oneness, their union. I love that. Right. Right. So, and that, I okay. think, you know, when I, when I think we both share this, that when we write, we want people to think even deeper than whatever you think the story is about. Right. Because there's always more. And that's why I just, I call them layers. You know, after we finish our first draft and we layer things on, um, the first, the first round is, getting it out there, the layers are intentional, but they're thought we right. thought we think about those things as we add them. Um, just so that we present this character that is real. And even if you have never been through what your character is going through, you believe them. Right. Um, so, yeah. Um, I have two more questions for you. Um, okay. First is, how do you know when a story is finished? When I feel like I'm pushing. Mm-hmm. When, when, I, when I'm asking myself, well, okay, what else? Then I know it's done. You know, I, I, and because I, I don't want to push. You know what I mean? I don't want to. It's not organic from adding stuff to get to a word count. If I'm adding right, to say, I right. need this many more words. If I'm saying, okay, well, what else could they do? Then I'm done. The story's done. I know that. I'm I'm pretty, I'm, I'm confident in, in that particular thing. I know when it's done. When it's the ending. Because I, I don't want to, I don't want to have, um, it's just like technical writing at work. You know, I'm asking a citizen about airport noise. I want to give you, you'll need all of that. I'm going to answer what you asked. I'm going to tell you a story. If I have to start interjecting so much of Vonna in that, then it's not Cammy and Ali's story anymore. Right, right. So that's, that's, I don't have a long answer for that. That was one I'm pretty... I'm pretty confident on that is that it's over when, when I started, you know, I have to keep saying, well, what now? Well, what else? Well, what else? Yeah. Yeah. See, my, my answer would be, um, when I can't peel my, when, you know, like I have to actually peel myself 
off the, my desk. I know that I'm done. <laughs> like the exhaustion from I was, you know, from Panther. The exhaustion from Panther. I knew when it when I was done. It's like you can't. I think I was. If I didn't let it go when I let it go, I would have been trying to be somebody I wasn't. Right. I get um, that. Yeah. So. I get that. Yeah. I'm getting that 100%. So, okay, I got to get you a good question now. Okay, um, what was an early experience where you learned that the language, that language had power? Wow. So you really going to make me think. Um I, I I don't know if 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 this uh qualifies um but I know um that oral tradition is a big deal to me um it's actually why I have a stronger connection to one side of my family than the other because of the stories that were told um and I think that you know, obviously my experience has been mostly with black women growing up in a matriarchal family that the way that they tell stories is so rich that uh-huh. like <laughs> it's no way that I could that I could even come to the page without carrying some of that with me. Um but my my grandmother telling me stories created worlds for me that I'd never experience that I never knew existed, but I so feel that I lived in those times. Right. Like, you can't tell me, you know, she was born in 1930. You can't tell me that many times I wasn't there with her. Just her communicating to me what she went through. And I know that it's a thing, you know, within our community, black community, to not talk about everything that happened. Right. But But she would talk about everything that happened. And it and she gave me a tremendous gift. And I don't think I ever really, you know, articulated that before this moment or ever really thought that deeply about it. Um, it was like a I felt like that was a pop quiz question. <laughs> and I was surprised that I had a response, but um <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I think it's that. I think and maybe that's why I have this love for oral tradition and why I want to continue the story, continue the narrative and why I want to encourage other black women to um, share their narratives. Yeah, it's and it's important. I'm going to piggyback off of, off of that because for me, it was the opposite. In my family, I grew up in a patriarchal family. You know, I was raised mm-hmm. by my father who was like one of the most gifted storytellers that you can't convince wow. me that ever walked this earth because you know, my sisters are all older than I am, my sisters and brothers, and they have these friends who be like, okay, if they're going to be around my dad, they come in with a notebook because they got to write down the stuff he's saying because it's so funny. Wow. It's so fascinating. It's so, <laughs> so I knew the story of my daddy leaving Alabama at 15 and coming to Florida. I knew about him driving the tractor into the beach because these are the stories that when he and his brothers got together, we didn't need TV. Nobody was watching TV. We sitting out in the country 
4th of July, my family all go back to the land that my grandfather owned, that my ancestors were on. So we come from a, I come from a very deeply rooted family. We know where our ancestors mm-hmm. came from. We we can go back and find 1900 on a grave site with all of our names on. Well, we can see wow. our surname. So we come from that rich tradition where they sit out there and they tell these stories. And I mean, the first rappers we ever heard were right there at our, we, we sat at their feet with them just mm-hmm. telling these stories and just, just hilarious and rich. So I learned the power of language. And this is a true story. I was probably, I was in elementary school and it was this family down the street. Well, we used to get into it all the time because I had all these nephews and, and then she had her uncles and, you know, so it was, we were the girls in the house full of boys. So we were going at it, you know, we talking, your mama this, your mama that, we going back and forth. And I dropped the word. I said, and everybody was like, we were a little bitty kids. And everybody was like, oh, did she just say? Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it was like, whoa. Because my daddy used big curse words all the time. <laughs> so for me, it was just, you know, dinner on a Monday night. It wasn't, you know. But they were growing yeah. up with their grandmothers and single mothers, you know. So they didn't talk like that. I grew up with right. my daddy and his uncles and my uncles and stuff like that. That was a regular word. But at that moment, I thought, whoa, I just won from one word that I said. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was like automatically from that point, it was like, oh, I used big curse words when I was a little girl. Because, you know, I was little. I had big lips. I was cross-eyed. You know, I had a dead mama. I had all these things where they could go in. Oh, your hair's so big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I dropped the MF on them. It was like, oh, oh, like going home crying like she said. Mm-hmm. so awful. I can't even spell it. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And that's standing in my head. And some moment where I knew that language had power because it was like from that point on, it was like, geez, bad words. But it was, it was the word. It was like, wow, I just, but it was the same thing that captivated us. You know, a bunch of kids not want to go watch TV because we sit now and listen to 60-year-old men tell stories about their youth. Yeah, and the parents will pray for that now. Like they wish their kids would want to sit at their feet, but and and then probably not. Probably not at my dad. Probably not at my dad and his brother's feet. That's probably that was like listening to like Red Fox and Richard Pryor. (laughs) 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 Those probably are not the the stories that they want their kids to hear. But but uh, yeah, but so it's amazing how. We're influenced by that. My older brother, I promise you, he could be a cult leader easily. I would go to his house and see he'd be sitting on the porch with people just sitting around, you know, any style they live because listening to him talk about, you know, all how much he know about ancient Africa and the kings and queens. It was like, he ain't never been to Africa, but he had no soul. It was like, <laughs> like, like a master for storytelling, you know, that he got. That's in his DNA, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> okay. So your last question, since I just, My since last I just made question. this, since I just made this podcast explicit. Okay. <laughs> oh, no, that's okay. We have, we can edit. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> um, 
What are you working on now? I am working on something that is very intimidating for me. Um, I'm working on a, a kind of a mystical spiritual piece. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of a mix. It's 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 more in the same vein of what I do. You know, where we're gonna be catching up with what the characters are, but it's from it's and this is why I say it intimidates me because uh. You know, you learn. You talk about learning the rules. The rules of I want my character that passed away to narrate this, so it'll mm-hmm. be kind of first person, but it also be you know kind of like in like a limited kind of third person POV. Whereas, but so the challenge for me is her being the mother and knowing her children. So for mm-hmm. me, the challenge is going to be for me to write their physical responses to things. What they like if I'm like if I if I have a camera if I'm a cameraman and I'm capturing camera responding this way and her mother knowing her, her mother knowing what she's feeling, her mother knowing she's thinking something else. So that's going to be a challenge for me. Yeah. Pilot. <laughs> so you know as a mother right you look at your kid you know they come home and you like what what's wrong with you it's, you don't know what's wrong with them but you know something wrong and it's like nothing and that's about two minutes you're like did you get in a fight you know that <laughs> about the kid yeah yeah so from her being on this mystical plane of calling it the thin place between you know earth and heaven where she's there. So she's there trying to, she's learning. She's there with her mother, learning what really happened. So this incident where her mother abandoning her shaped her life, gave her a lot of yeah. bitterness and resentment. Then she found out that her mother didn't leave her. Her mother was killed. And that's why she didn't come back for her. So she she spent 40 years of her life with this resentment that was misplaced. Yeah. So she dealing with that and she dealing with having to make, not make amends, but you can't just cause all this chaos and then you go off, you know, you go off to the afterlife and all this chaos you created. Because you didn't, you haven't been accountable for it. You haven't accepted responsibility. So I like to think I'm kind of playing with this idea of, um, like not quite passed on yet. Mm-hmm. So dealing with, you know, how the Bible talks about the sins of the father and how you know King David did all this and God still exhausted him, but he had chaos in his house for generations. I want to play around with what if you don't, what if King David didn't go away? What if his, he, he's still, you know, paying because he's watching his children and his children and his children's children go through this and he can't do anything about it, but watch it. Mm-hmm. And I had to put, I have to put Camilla with somebody to bounce off how she feels about what she's saying. So that's why I want her mother there. Yeah. So you're doing some 
some Toni Morrison type or you're you're venturing into some Toni Morrison type stuff right now? Uh wow. I don't I Toni Morrison. We haven't had any I don't think we ever dealt with any, you know, like in between life with her have we? No. But just the the everybody's not all the way human, right? Right. Yeah, or all the way, you know, mortal at this point. Yeah, and I'm doing a lot of research yeah. on, like, the physical being. Right now, I kind of settled on that, what Camilla says. Um, I actually wrote that down somewhere. Oh, wow, look at this. It looks like I was prepared. But um, <laughs> it just says, <laughs> you know, I got this where I wrote, it's so frustrating here. Nothing is ever in focus, and it's giving me the worst headache I ever had. And I've had some dudes. And the mother says, I know, I've seen them all. And Camilla hung her head and looked away. Weep. And she says, you don't need to see anything here clearly. It's them that you need to see clearly. Wow. Talking about the, the, her children on earth. So I'm kind of like, I set that up kind of where it's like, I don't have to really deal with the what it looks like there. Because she can't yeah. ever really see it fully. She can't ever focus on when she tries to focus on what her present, I mean, on her physical, like what's going on around her, she can't focus on it. All she can focus on is what the, 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 the I don't want to say mess, because she left some good stuff. She put some good stuff in Cammy. She put some good stuff in Oliver. But what she can see clearly is what she needs to see of this is what, these are the consequences. This the result, the outcome of the choices you make. Because she just died, and it's like, Okay, well, all this shit falling out and she gone. No, mm-hmm. she's not really. She's not really. So that's gonna. That's what I'm working on now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how that and turns out. And your last question for me? My last question for you is, what are you working on next? I am wrapping up. Um, a collection of poetry called the um, Negotiating the Terms of Your Resurrection. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's about a lot because um, and you can tell like I mean, <laughs> it's not that I can't articulate it. I'm just wondering where to start, right? So for one, obviously um, you know that uh, I was a widowed young, and I remember um, after my husband died, being in this extreme depression that really has lasted, you know, pushing two decades at this point, and um, getting a, a, a message from God. My grandmother had this experience before, too. She heard an audible voice, the audible voice of God speak to her that completely changed her life from that moment on, and and really at that point, like the Bible says, he gave her a new name. She became a new person in that moment. Um, in that moment, for me, God said, pick up your pen and write. But at the same time, this this voice of doubt, which I know to be Satan, said, if you do that, it's going to be too intense and it's going to kill you. So in that moment, I had to decide which voice to listen to and fear one for a long time. Um, 
but I did I did like uh, live with the understanding that if I could push through that, if I could risk my life to tell the truth, that I could really live. You know, it's kind of like when you, you know, put on 100 pounds and you know it's going to hurt the first time you get on the treadmill and pick up those weights and do what you need to do. But you know mm-hmm. that if you keep working, you're going to get the results you want. So I knew I could be healed through writing what I was feeling. And there's no other way that I can write. And I've tried over the years to write nonfiction, creative nonfiction, to tell my story in that way, a a prose-heavy piece. But it's hard to communicate feeling to the depth that I felt uh, in that with prose. I needed to write it in poetry. I needed Mm -hmm. to remove the rules and where I could decide where I broke, where the lines broke or where my words broke or what I talked about next. So I've been working on this for a long time, like everything else I've been working on. Um, So it's about that, but it's also about black people waking up, right? So we, we go through these phases. We go through, okay, first we get, you know, we go through emancipation and now we're free and, no, they didn't give us our 40 acres and a mule, but, you know, we live in a new life. We've kind of be, been reborn. Um, then we go through, you know, civil rights movement, and everybody's all conscious and woke then, but right. then that goes away. And now look where we are now. So is that, too, because all of that is like it's this cycle, right? It just keeps <laughs> keeps always something that we need to, you know, to wake up and uh, wake up from. and, and Right. And, and see with new eyes and decide who we're going to be um, in the face of this oppression. And so, like, with this new, you know, imbecile in leadership, <laughs> we got to wake up. Um, so, like, you know, we were sleeping for a while, but now, you know, things are going to be different, right? We're going to say that, but how are we going to make sure that we don't fall back into our old habits again? Um, and then I also think that it's the responsibility of the artist whether it be, you know, a fine artist with a, you know, a paintbrush or an author with a pen, it's the responsibility of us to um, reflect what's going on and to to resist what's going on through our, our writing. And if we don't, if we just um, accept how things are happening, accept that these people in power have the power to do things and not pick up our pens and our, our paintbrushes, um, it's, we're going to let it kill us because it's too much to take. It's too much right. to take all this stuff and not have an outlet for it. You have got to uh, be able to do more than just scream about what's happening to you. You have right. got to, you know, take some, you have to take that power. And so that's yeah. what this is. So this is kind of, this is ha- everything. Um, it's not just, I don't think it's possible for me to write something that's just about me. It's about us. And I think, as long as I create, everything is always going to be about us. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and the power in the artist, you know, capturing it, putting it down on whatever canvas, you know, they choose to put it on, is that it immortalizes it. Yeah. It's there. You know, it's um, it's a legacy. It's there. Even when we're in another part of the cycle when things are good, or when they start to get back to it, you say, hey, you know, it's there to be like, hey, We've been through this before. We can get through it. These are some of the tools. So I think it's important for uh, for artists to, you know, to do what they can to to capture it as a part of, you know, as an active historian. Yeah. And it's cool you know, because, like, you know. Yeah. 
and, and Nikki Giovanni is still relevant, not just the stuff she's putting out today, but the stuff she put out before. Um, right. Pearl Cleves. You know, these people, like, one, I know one of your questions for me was, what book do you wish you have you had written yourself? And it's uh, yeah. Pearl Cleves' um, Deals with the Devil and Other Reasons to Riot. Okay? First of all, the title is everything. Um, yeah. But, but she, can, she speaks her mind in her essays. But she's in those that book, the book I have, I don't know, it's old. I, maybe seventies when I was born. So I'm, when I say old, I don't really mean old because I was yeah. born in the seventies. But yeah, that book, um, Lucille Clifton, who's no longer here, good woman. Um, Sonia Sanchez, mm-hmm. who is still here. Her her first books are still relevant to me. Right. So what are you talking yeah. about? You know, I read the bluest. I like. You know, the Bible, I read that like every two yeah. years. I have to revisit it. And sometimes I have to check myself. I literally check myself by saying, you know what? The earth ain't, the ground ain't being good. The miracles this year. That's how I relate <laughs> to Trayvon Martin. And when, you know, sometimes, you know, and, and, and you know, when my writing, I always weave a little, little nod to Toni Morrison and something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, be it. You know, the marigold stitch, those sunrises dress. Those are the things that that ground me, that keep me shaped. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just relevant stuff. And you think about that, Bluest Owl was written before I was born. And, yeah. you know, it's just, uh, you know, in this time we talk about Wonder Woman and all this kind of stuff. You go back to Jane Eyre. Come on, Jana was like pull herself up by her bootstraps, you know, and that was what eighteen hundreds. So we have to, um, and that's what breaks my heart about the state of of I don't know, air quote urban literature mm-hmm. is you know the quote Lauren Hill, everybody listening. And that's what you're going to talk about? You got this audience. You <laughs> yeah. got everybody's attention. And that's what you're going to talk about? Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't want to be in that lane. I want to, you know, literature change save my life. You know, made me feel that I wasn't um, restrained by the confines of my neighborhood. Uh, so if I can do that for anybody, sign me up. Yeah, and let's, you know, that makes, that gives me an idea. I'd like to close on this one question that was yours. <laughs> Is that, um, I think it's, uh, let me make sure I get, I word it correctly. Um, if it pulls up, um, your question. So we'll both answer this and then we'll close. Um. What does literary success look like to you? That's going to make me cry. For me, um, my book signing in Orlando, that's my hometown. And this um, Mm -hmm. young lady, 19 years old, you know, tall, skinny, glasses. Her mom went to school with me. And her mom told me, she said, I work 
night shifts. And I was like, I woke up at 3 o'clock and I was thinking, oh my God, I hope I am Miss Vaughn. She said, I had to bring my daughter to see you and to touch you, to know that you wrote that book that she's in love with. That said, even though you got it on the back of the cover and I told her, she lives across the street. She's saying, somebody from here did this. And she said, mm-hmm. I needed her to see you, physically touch you and know that just because we here, that's not it for you. You can do more. She did it. She from here. And I wanted her. She's like, I'm tired and I got to get back to work tonight. But I needed her to see you physically. I needed her to be yeah. in your space. That and now she going to the Air Force and she traveling the world. The same little girl that's a year later. And she <laughs> writes me a letter yeah. and saying, you know, seeing you. I mean, I didn't expect her to do exactly what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's it for me because I swear to God on everything holy to me. That's really why I first started writing was that some girl could see herself and say, okay, maybe I can't own a winery. So that's what yeah. it looks like to me. It'd be nice to make a lot of money, too. <laughs> <laughs> because that means that you can always do the thing that you know you were created to do. Yes. You get to do that full time. I feel like, um, I feel like, and and I'm talking about at this point in my life, you know, as a 43 year old woman, putting some work out there. Um, I feel I feel like I've already uh, achieved that success that I wanted when the first person called me back and said, "Wow," or when you called and said I was in tears. You mm-hmm. hope that people get what you put into it when you put it out there. Um, you hope that in some way, no matter how small, there's some transformation that happens in their, in people's lives. Um, but then there wasn't one call. There are multiple calls or emails or messages. I'm like, all I, you know, I just wanted them, I wanted people to get it, um, right. to get what I was trying to communicate, but also get the Every with every story, there was so much more to the story, and so far the response has been that they got that there was so much more to every story. Right. Um. So I feel like I've sales. You know, obviously, we want the sales because, and not, I don't have any lofty dreams of becoming a millionaire off of my my books. I'm not right. writing with that intention. We don't write with that intention. But wouldn't it be nice? Or it would be just nice enough to say, um, you know, I'm going to quit my day job and I'm only going to write. Right. But right. That, would, right. that wouldn't be success. That would be the icing on top. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for listening to the Black Girl Narrative Podcast.